A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down. You do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. <clears throat> uh, most of my life, I have thought that I was unique. And uh, in fact, the way I wrote it at the beginning of this manuscript that when I was writing it was, I have struggled most of my life thinking I was unique. But the truth is, most of my life it wasn't a struggle for me. I was just convinced it was true, that I was different than everybody else and that people didn't think the way that I did and I was unique in all kinds of ways. Now, before some of you uh, who are you know, teachers or encouragers of people say, well, Ed, you are unique, you're unique gifts and who makes you you? You're like a beautiful snowflake. <laughs> okay, all right, I hear you. Uh, and in some ways, what you say is true. That's true in some ways. But what I've learned over uh, my years of living is that most of us are just like the rest of us. And that most of us feel pretty much the same things and we think pretty much the same things. We just don't always know that because we don't really express it to each other. I used to think primarily that my major problem with other people in situations, and maybe it's because of the way my dad drilled this into my head, that my problem was is that I just didn't want to do what anybody told me to do. In fact, I struggle with rules. I struggle with being told what to do. If you give me two choices, I know there's a third one, and that's the one I'm going to find. No matter what the two choices are you give me, I struggle with, with that kind of thing. And I thought for a long time that was just me. But what I've come to realize is that's pretty much, well, I'm convinced it's everybody. Uh, because I'm convinced of that because I had three sons. And you could blame that on my DNA in them. But I'll just tell you, my wife is an excellent rule keeper. Though secretly she thinks all of you would be better off if you'd let her make the rules for all of you too. <laughs> I mean, she is great at keeping rules and making rules for all kinds of stuff. 
But it's not just my three sons. They each have married wonderful, normal women who upgraded the DNA of our family in a tremendous kind of way. They seem completely normal and awesome. And now we have nine grandchildren, none of which can be told what to do. (laughs) And it's not just my family. You should come to the 930 service and watch those people kill the people in the parking lot as they try to tell them where to park. They hate being told what to do. Not you people. You're all completely normal. I know. (laughs) But I'm convinced it's everybody. I I just think almost everybody hates anybody telling them how to go and what to do and where to go. In fact, I think the American dream that we don't uh, print on dollar bills or any places is that We want to do what we want, where we want, when we want, and have enough money to be able to do it and enough money to tell anybody that doesn't want us to do it where they can go live. Uh, We want to do what we want, when we want, how we want. We want enough money so we can get away with it and enough money to cover it up if we get caught. That's what we want. Now, we don't say that out loud. What we say out loud is we believe in freedom. But what we really believe in is personal autonomy. We think... No matter how it affects anybody, we ought to get to do whatever we want, when we want, how we want, no matter what. It's this alluring goal to us. Now, I brought that up a couple of times in this series. Uh, My name is Ed, by the way. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in this ongoing study of the life of Jesus in the book of Mark. And we called it the King Jesus Gospel, as you notice on the screen. And the reason we call it that is because the very opening statement is it, uh, that Mark says, Jesus is both Messiah and King, which is just double King. He's the King of Kings. Now, I've said to you already, I don't know how many times, that almost everybody I meet believes in God. But very few people seem to believe God. Almost everybody I know, I mean, if you walk around, particularly in the South, and ask people, have you made a decision that you believe in Jesus? Everybody believes in Jesus. They just think he's wrong about a bunch of stuff. They just don't think he's right about how to live your life. He don't, they, they disagree with him about particularly things about his right, about what they want to do in their life, because all of us want the right to determine what we get to do with our life. But the truth is, and we don't like to admit this, is that, you know, we haven't been troubled in life because we followed too much advice. Most of the mistakes we've made in our life is because we followed our own advice. The amount of people I meet that say, I don't really trust people, I've met a lot of people I can't trust. But the truth is, the person you ought to have the least trust in is you, because you have been at every bad decision you've ever made. You have never made a bad decision that you didn't show up for. You trusted all the people you now don't trust. You're the one that decided to trust them. I mean, you made every one of those decisions because you wouldn't take somebody else's advice. In fact, for most of us, if you look back on the bad things that you did, there was somebody standing next to you going, "Ah, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you ought to do that. I don't think you ought to be with them. I don't think you ought to marry them. I don't think you ought to go out with them. I don't think you ought to do that. I don't think you ought to buy that. I don't think you ought to go there. Your problem wasn't advice. Your problem was you couldn't be told what to do about anything. And there's just this tendency in us to take our own advice, and our own advice, well, it's limited by our emotional experiences, what's going on inside of us at the moment, what's happened to us in the past, 
what we're afraid about in the future. Now I want you to hold on to that for a second. Though we're really bad about taking advice, the one thing that when you get to be our age, everybody in here is an adult, when you get to be our age, the one thing we are really good at is that we really are very good at monitoring our public behavior. We may not be very good about listening to anybody else, but when we're all together in public, we're pretty good about monitoring how we act in public. Otherwise, you can't get a date or a second date or get married or, you know, graduate from high school or get your mom and dad to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. You got to monitor how you look on the outside. You got you to monitor how you act at all times. Well, Jesus, who we believe is right about everything, in the passage you just listened to, invites you, in fact, I would say for those of you here who say you are followers of Jesus, this isn't an invitation, this is a command. He commands that those of us who follow him, that we stop paying so much attention to our behavior monitoring what's going on on the outside. And we spend way more attention focusing on what's inside of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, his invitation to you is stop monitoring so much what's happening here that everybody can see and monitor what's happening inside of you and I'm glad I get to teach this part because this has been such a big part of the last 40 years of my life of walking with Jesus he has used this idea to change me from the man that thought autonomy me doing what I wanted how I wanted when I wanted no matter who got hurt to a man that can follow his commands with great joy because he has led me to an incredibly blessed life. So our scripture begins with some Pharisees and teachers of the law coming to Jesus from Jerusalem, which means that Jesus had made such a stir that people from the capital city came to check him out. He's a new rabbi. They feel responsible for the people getting the truth and they wanna know if he's on track. And as they are watching Jesus, they see his disciples doing something that causes them to question. They ask, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Which in our culture, we agree with the Pharisees. You think, you don't wash your hands? Gross. But remember, the disciples were common people who lived in a desert country where water was precious. You didn't just pour water all over everything. To the religious leaders, this was a big deal. The tradition of the elders, known as the Oral Torah, was this mysterious teaching that supposedly went back to the time when Moses brought down the law from God. Supposedly, there was an additional oral law that was forbidden to be written down, and only a very small group of men knew what that oral law was, so they could bring it out and apply it to people whenever they wanted. And this seems pretty suspicious. But here's what's worse. Sometimes the oral law was just commentary on the written law, but sometimes it seemed to conflict. So when we read the accounts of Jesus' life, we see Jesus doesn't buy into the oral law and mysterious traditions of the elders, like this one about having to wash your hands before you eat. I mean, doesn't this little law make God small and petty? Well, Jesus knew that wasn't true. So instead of answering their question, Jesus asks these religious leaders, why do you break the actual written command of God for the sake of your traditions? In other words, you guys use those traditions to manipulate people. Every time anyone does something you don't want them to do, you say, nah, -uh. the tradition of the elder says, blah, blah, blah. 
He calls them hypocrites. He says, the prophet Isaiah, he wrote about you. And he uses this quote from Isaiah to point out what's really going on. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they've learned to say all the right things. They're good at monitoring their behavior, but they're playing a game. And Jesus adds, by doing this, you nullify or cancel out the word of God for your tradition. And then Jesus addressed the whole crowd listening. He said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. In other words, you can't defile yourself before God by something you eat or if you don't wash your hands. In other words, God is not small. God is not petty. He is not gotcha kind of God. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And then Jesus drops the mic, walks through the crowd, and goes into the house. And I imagine the disciples scramble to follow him because they don't seem to understand it. They ask Jesus about it, and maybe they're wondering to themselves, is Jesus saying that the dietary laws don't matter at all? It probably sounded like he was dismissing the law of God, which he was not doing. In fact, Jesus kept the law perfectly, but it sounds weird to them. What goes in your mouth doesn't defile you? Doesn't the law say differently? So they asked Jesus what it was all about. And Jesus responds in a way we don't expect. He says, are you still so dull? And that sounds harsh to us, but I'm pretty sure Jesus isn't being overly stern or critical here. I imagine it is more like Jesus is almost winking at them like, really, you still don't get it? Come on, keep up guys. Because what Jesus is about to say to them reveals a lot about what is most valuable to him. And since Jesus is the clearest representation of God, this is something that is most important to our Heavenly Father and what should be most important to us. Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Here's what I think Jesus doesn't want us to miss. God is not most concerned with how our behavior affects him. Our behavior does not change God. People often get the idea that Christianity is a set of moral rules and that what God cares about is whether you get most of the rules right or not. But Jesus is just clear again and again, the law of God is not given to keep God happy. What these religious leaders seem to have thought and what many churches and believers in our day seem to hold on to is this idea that these laws, some of which make sense to us and some that don't even seem to apply anymore in our culture are just to keep God happy. And Jesus keeps saying again and again that these laws are for your benefit and with your best interest in mind because God is for you. That last idea is the big idea that I wish I could get across to people, that God doesn't make rules just to arbitrarily make rules, that even though you can't see it, God cares about people. He's not trying to make himself happy by being able to control and manipulate people. If he wanted to control and manipulate people, he is perfectly capable of that, and lightning works really, really well. He, he wants people to do what's best for him and for them, is what I should have said. 
I think you can see this even the way Jesus teaches about this tradition that he, he doesn't keep. I mean, I think Jesus is trying to be incredibly funny just to, I mean, it's guy humor. He's, he's trying to break the guys up so that they, they can hear what he's trying to say. I think when he says to them, he's saying, are you, are you guys so dull? I mean, how many times do I have to say this? And then he just gets really plain. He goes, what goes into your mouth goes into your stomach and out of your body, right? And they're like, yeah, that's right. We've seen that. We're not that dull. He says, okay, one more time so everybody got it. Whatever accidentally goes into your mouth goes into your stomach, and then it goes out. You guys have all seen that, right? And they're like, yeah, we see that on the regular. I mean, everybody but Bartholomew who needs some roughage, but everybody else knows what you're talking about. I mean, they're laughing like you laughed. And then Jesus stops and looks them in the eye and he, he says to them, hey, there's no harm that comes to anybody by something accidentally you eat or you violate some small law that you thought was, didn't make sense to you anyway to keep God happy. He straightens up and he says to them, but the things that come out of your mouth, the things that come out of you, those things you don't pay much attention to, those things that put you at odds with other people, those things, that's what defiled you before God. The way you treat people, what you do to people, that's what separates you from God. Eating fruit with dirty hands, accidentally eating the wrong way, that didn't put you at odds with God. The things that come out of you, that put you at odds with people, the the people around you that God loves because God loves the people around you. He loves the person next to you and the person behind you and the person, the car that irritates you and the person that you don't like that you think is different than you. That's the theme of Jesus teaching again and again and again that God, the way we express our love to God is by loving the people around you and God loves them all. And so you get to thinking that God's petty because he makes all these rules. God isn't concerned about what goes into you because that just flushes right out of you. But what comes out of you, what comes out in behavior and in the words you say, that matters a lot to God. Now, that's an important point for everybody to get, but you need to get that's not his main point. That's just a sub-point. His main point is what I'm going to read to you next, and I'm going to read it to you out of Matthew, who records the same incident, because he includes a little part that Mark doesn't include. Mark gets all the, it's all there. Mark, he just puts it in a way different that I think is more succinct for us. So here's the way Matthew says it. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. They originate from the heart. And the things that originate from inside of us, that are us, those things defile us. And those things put us at odds with God because it's those things that come out of our mouth and out with our hands and our feet and the way our eyes look at people that put us at odds with other people, the people that God loves. The source of your defiling the source of your problems, your problems are not in your circumstances. You are your problem. Now, I, I don't know how that hits you. 
For some of you, you're like, well, duh, I knew I was my problem. For others of you, you're like, no, come on. You don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the circumstances that I'm living in. And not everything that I wind up doing comes from my heart. In fact, sometimes the circumstance, I just, I just say things. I just do things I don't really mean. And this is one of those places that people like you and me who say we believe in Jesus, you just revealed you don't believe Jesus because you disagree with him. Because Jesus says that what comes out of you, it came from your heart. And all those times that you say, well, I didn't mean to say that, what Jesus would say is what you should have said is, I didn't mean to say that out loud. I didn't mean, I don't like the way it sounded. I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't like the consequences. But to say you didn't mean it is to deny that the thought was in you in the first place. Here's what he says. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil comes. And now he's talking about not, I mean, again, we're all adults. He's not talking about your physical heart. He's talking about that common human experience that we have that we think things, and because we're so good at monitoring our behavior, we're thinking things while our face is doing something else. We're thinking stuff while our mouth is saying the exact opposite. But we're all aware of the fact that what's come out, I mean, all of us that live long enough have had that experience where you do something, and in the middle of doing it, it's almost like you have an out-of-body experience, and you're like a third party watching you, and you're going, no! I wish I could take those words back. I wish I could stop that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't acted that way. I wish I hadn't looked that way. I wish I hadn't done that kind of thing. Why did I do that? Jesus would say, "Because, well, it was in you. It was in you the whole time. That's why you did it. I mean, this is why when it comes down to what Jesus is asking you to do, he goes on to make clear that Everything begins with what you're thinking. Everything that goes wrong in your life starts with a thought. Murder starts with a thought. Adultery starts with a thought. Malice starts with a thought. Hatred starts with a thought. The words that you say, they start with a thought. And then if just to sum it all up, I love the last word he uses. He says, folly. You know what folly is? Folly is just the foolish things you've done where you couldn't take somebody's advice, you just went on your own. And at the end of it, you got back and went, how could I have been so stupid? It's just, it's just folly. How could I have missed it? How could I not have seen? What made me think that would be a good thing? It's just foolishness. It's just, it's just folly. It's those embarrassing, despicable, relationship-killing, career-killing, <laughs> finance-debilitating behaviors that you do again and again and again that you want to blame on circumstances. Jesus says the source of that is your heart. It, it's in you. Those are the things that put you at odds with God. And the reason they put you at odds is with God is not because God is so petty. It's because it puts you at odds with people. And God loves people. He says, now, come on, everybody. You know eating with unwashed hands and little things that we 
keep as traditions, those things aren't what matters. It's what is going on inside of you. And this is such an important thing that we just want to glance by that I don't want us to do that today. I don't want us to brush past it. So Jason's going to come and lead us in a moment or two of reflection. So during our time of reflection today and our prayer time, I want us to just, I just want to ask you simply just to close your eyes. I want you to think back over your week, seven days. In a moment, I want, I'm going to be quiet and let you sit with God, but I want you during that quiet to invite him to lead you through any significant encounters you've had in the past seven days. And in particular, I want you to focus on any ways in which your words, your behavior, they did damage to a person, to a relationship. Focus on moments where you had conflict, an argument, harsh words, criticism, cruel jokes, times when you were intentionally deceptive. You spoke carelessly or you acted foolishly. Maybe there's a pattern there, a pattern of sin that it's affecting you, it's affecting people in your life. And I want to admit, this is uncomfortable for some of us. It's going to be emotional. And, and in fact, some of you are going to feel a little bit of shame just thinking about these things. But I want, to, I want you to hear me say this. There is no shame in Christ Jesus. There's no shame. There's only love from your Father in these moments. Maybe you've already got something coming to your mind. But if not, you just spend these next few moments, think through your week, and invite God into it. Ask Him. God, reveal those words. Reveal those actions that I've done that have hurt others. You take a minute and do that. invite God to go a little deeper within us and help us see these patterns of sin or these ways of speaking or these behaviors that cause damage to ourselves and where they come from. But to get us thinking about this, we're going to focus back on those words that we heard earlier that Jesus spoke. And I'm going to ask you to read them with me. I'm going to start reading. And when we come to the words in bold, I'm going to ask you to read those out loud along with me. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. 
And now in the moments of quiet, I'm going to ask you to invite God. Say, God, show me what is within me that is polluting my thoughts, my words, my actions. And maybe you're going to find some underlying insecurities. God's going to show you some fear, maybe some hurt that you just have not dealt with. Or there could be some sinful thoughts that just lie within you, this bitterness or this greed or lust or self-deception or whatever it might be. You ask God, God, what is causing me to do these things, to hurt people in my life? You ask him and let him reveal it to you. now in the remaining moments repent just confess your sins before God and remember as you do there's no shame there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus only love only forgiveness let's repent Heavenly Father, we want to become people who can love the way Jesus loves. But we also know that there are these sinful, damaging patterns, the way we speak, the way we behave, and they are opposed to that way of love. Father, forgive us. Forgive us of our sins and help us to root out what is within us that defiles us. Fill us with your spirit that we may love those around us the way you have loved us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to talk about these uh, traditions for a second because people often think that what Jesus did is he just blew up all traditions and that traditions don't really matter, that religious traditions aren't important. But some of you who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, you have certain ways and things that matter to you. They're very important. They're meaningful to you. But what I want to say to you is they, don't, they aren't ways for you to make God pleased with you or satisfied with you or happy with you. And the reason I need to say that is because good people like you and me who wind up coming to places like this and spending an hour together to try to be, be together before God, people get this wrong all the time. And it's people like us that mostly get it wrong. They begin to think, we begin to think that, you know, there are certain things that we do that they earn us something with God. I used to have a friend that when she would, when she would really be serious about something, like something that really mattered to her in prayer, she would say, I'm going to fast and pray. 
And she even said to me, I always get whatever I ask for, fasting and praying, which I don't have a way to know whether that's true or not. But what I want to say to you is, when you hear things like that, fasting and praying are both things the Bible highly recommends. Praying on your knees is something the Bible highly recommends. But God is not sitting in heaven when my friend prays and goes, well, that's a stupid thing she's asking, but where she ain't ate for three days, I got to give it to her now. God isn't sitting back when you finally get down on your knees and pray something. He goes, well, dang it, she's on her knees. I got to do it. I mean, look at her. Everybody else just praying while they drive. I, you know, I, I got to give it to her. All those things may be really, really important for you. I mean, the way you talk to God, the way you pray before God, the kind of music you listen to. I, I love the music we have around here, but I also love hymns. I sing hymns a lot to myself and to God. But you need to keep it clear in your mind. That may be helpful for me. It is not for God. It helps me connect with God, but it doesn't impress God at all. It doesn't change God at all. Those things are things you ought to le lean into. But they are for you. They are not for God. Missing communion, missing church, not reading your Bible for a day, all of those things that really, really seem to matter to Christian people, they matter for us because they affect our heart. They don't affect God. They don't impress God. They don't change God. But they change me, worshiping together, praying regularly, reading the Bible regularly. That's for me. But how you treat other people, God is really concerned about that. The way you talk about other people the way you talk to other people, the way you look at other people, the way you look down on other people, the way you have thoughts in your heart that you think will never come out until they do. That really, really matters to God. Because what's in you is what's true about you. And I just have to say for all of you, here you are, you're in church today, or you're watching online, and I mean, you're still looking at me. I admire you're monitoring your behavior. It looks like you're all listening. So before I let you go, I feel like I need to say the most important question. Is everything okay in your heart? You mad at anybody? You got a little piece of grief that you won't let go of over something? A little angry about something and you turn it over and you don't think it really matters until it all comes out? Or you have to use or you have to drink to make it go back down? Is everything okay inside of you? What's going on in your heart? Or have you spent so much time being okay so that when everybody says to you, how you doing, you say okay, and you become okay so long, you don't know what's going on inside of you because you don't want to think about it. Will you please, please take a moment 
and really answer for yourself, is everything okay in my heart? Because I know for sure whatever is in there that you think doesn't matter, it is coming out. Oh, it's going to come out. And the people who are closest to you, they're going to experience the overflow of your heart, good or bad. They're going to get it. And we need to get way better at monitoring our heart and stop worrying so much about monitoring our public behavior. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is an even bigger deal than that for us because the one we follow, and I love this passage. I, for me, this is like a home passage that I come to all the time. Jesus says to people like us who've decided we would follow him, come to me. All of you who are weary and just worn out by monitoring your behavior and trying to get people to be impressed with you. Come to me if you're burdened and worn out, and I will give you something that behavior modification can't ever give you that will deal with your anger and your grief and your insecurity and the things that happened to you when you were a kid, the things that piled up on you. Come to me, all of you who are wearied and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. And another place he says to his disciples, my peace I give to you, not peace like the world gives. You know, you know what the peace is that the world gives? The peace the world gives is the peace you get when all your circumstances are exactly the way you would plan out if you got what you wanted, when you wanted, how you wanted. It's the kind of peace you get when everybody's happy and everybody loves you and everybody thinks you're great which lasts about that long. Jesus said, I give you peace. If you will come to me and follow me, not believe in me, if you will come to me and follow me, take my yoke upon me, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest for your soul. Who doesn't want that? I mean, isn't that worth you spending some time considering? That's why we ask you every week around here, are you, are you ready to take a next step toward Jesus in the life that Jesus offers you, which is, as we've been saying in numerous different ways, is not some new behavior modification kind of moral code. It's a life lived in community with God and with other people. And so maybe today's your day. Maybe today's the day that you decide to take a step toward the God who loves you and into his community. And we can help you get on a path that you could begin to follow and learn how to deal with whatever it is inside of you. If so, stop by the Next Step Center today. I'd love to talk to you. Would you sign up for the Next Steps class and let us help you put on the path that we have around here? If God's leading you to do that, I want you to do that. But before we're done, I want us all to have the opportunity to honor Jesus the way he asked us to by remembering him by taking communion together. And Jason's going to lead us in the time of communion.